0: Father, you are writing your story. You have written your story. You are writing your story. And we're so thankful that that story includes the sending of your son. And Jesus, thank you for your willingness to come and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our ears and eyes and minds and hearts to know you, experience you, to love you together. We also pray for Dave, that you would fill him up with your Holy Spirit and enable him to say exactly what you want him to say this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Hey, it's awesome to see you all. This is the first time I've seen the auditorium. It looks amazing. Thank you to those who did a great job decorating the auditorium in the lobby. And i um, so grateful to be here this morning. So Ellen and I just got back from vacation. We drove through 12 states um, from here to New York and back. And um, we got to see our daughter, who we hadn't seen since September. And we able to be with some family for Thanksgiving. It was super fun. But it's great to be back and uh, with y'all this morning. So a man um, went to the doctor. The doctor said, hey, I've got... Bad news, and I've got really bad news. Which would you like first? And the man said, well, I guess just the bad news first. He said, well, the bad news is you only have 24 hours to live. The man was sort of shocked by that. And he said, well, if that's the bad news, what's the really bad news? And the doctor said, well, I forgot to tell you yesterday. Yesterday. It'll catch up. It'll catch up. Listen, there's bad news. There's really bad news. But aren't you glad to be in a place where there's actually good news? Listen, the gospel, the gospel is good news. But the gospel has bad news and good news. And it's so important that we understand both the bad news and the good news. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine for just a second that a husband and wife happened to get in an argument. And in the course of this argument, the husband gets so frustrated, he raises his voice, he gets angry, and he storms out of the house. He calls his friend. His friend gets together, and the friend's listening to him. And the man says, I just can't believe it. I can't believe I lost my temper. But if she just wouldn't make me so angry, what's the problem? The problem is he doesn't believe the bad news. So that man's problem, the reason why his marriage will never be better than it is is because he doesn't understand the bad news. He still thinks he's a pretty decent guy. And so, what his friend needs to do is preach the bad news to him. He needs to know, no, you're not a decent guy. You're rotten. You're crooked deep, deep down. And you should never say, I can't believe I did that. Of course you did it. You're a sinner. Of course you got angry. And it's not your wife's fault that you got angry, it's your fault. It's your sin sick heart, not hers. Now, meanwhile, across town, the wife is sitting with a friend, and she's crying. Oh, my marriage, it's so broken. We're such sinners. What can we do? Maybe we should try harder. We'll go to church more. We'll go to small group more. Maybe we'll get some counseling. I just know if we try harder, if we try harder, I know our marriage can get better. See, she understands the bad news, but she doesn't understand the good news. And so if you're meeting with her to disciple her, what do you need to do? You need to preach the good news to her. Yes, your marriage is wrecked. Yes, your hearts are broken. But the good news is not trying harder. The good news is there's a Savior. The good news is that Jesus Christ has come to bring hope and righteousness and forgiveness Don't try harder to have a good marriage. A Christian marriage isn't achieved. It's received from Jesus. Oh, that we were the kinds of people who when we make disciples, we're able to make disciples preaching the bad news and the good news. And some of those that we disciple need to hear the bad news. And some of those we disciple need to hear the good news. But we all need to hear both because both point us to Jesus and we all need it we all need the gospel lost people need the gospel saved people need the gospel I need the gospel I have the best job in the world this morning because the thing that I need to remember more than anything else I get to talk about for the next well you'll have to find out (laughs) because we do have a lot to cover We have four chapters of Genesis to cover this morning. Now, to remind us of how we got to this point in the book of Genesis, we've been seeing through the book of Genesis again and again the bad news and the good news of the gospel. We've seen the bad news. A fall. That our first parents fell in sin. God said, thou shalt not. They said, we will. And when they sinned, they brought not only themselves, but all of humanity born from them, fell with them. And then we've all found our own creative ways to sin in a way consistent with our fallen human natures. A fall, more bad news. A flood, more bad news. The foolishness of man trying to build a tower to God. Bad news after bad news after bad news. And then more bad news, flawed heroes, person after person after person, who represents God in the world, and yet they're deeply flawed. And we have hero after hero, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're all flawed. But in every page of Genesis, we've also seen the good news that there is a redeemer, there is a savior. His name is Jesus. And he was promised in Genesis 3, verse 15, I will send from the seed of the woman a savior. He will crush the serpent and he'll receive a painful blow, but he will destroy forever the enemy of my people. He'll do it. And the good news of the gospel, points forward in every chapter of Genesis to Jesus. So we come to Genesis to chapter 42. We're going to look at 42, 43, 44, and 45 this morning. And you say, Dave, you know there's a football game at one o'clock. <laughs> I know. We're going to go. 42. There's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is this. There's a famine And it's covering the whole world. Who knew? Who knew that something could devastate everyone in the world at one time? Well, it happened before. There was a famine. And everyone in the world was affected by this famine. That's the bad news. But the good news is there was a place where men could find bread. There was a place where men could find food. And so Jacob and his sons are suffering from the famine, but they find out that there's bread in Egypt. So Jacob sends, in chapter 42, he sends 10 of his sons to Egypt to buy food for their family in Canaan. 10 sons. One he believes is lost, that's Joseph, he thinks he's dead, and one Joseph's younger brother, born to his favored wife, Benjamin, stays behind. Because Jacob can't take the fear of losing Benjamin and Joseph. So he sends the other ten sons to Egypt, and they go to Egypt to buy food for the family. Benjamin stays behind, the other ten brothers go, and they appear to Joseph in Egypt. Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. Why would they? First of all, they think he's dead. Second of all, for 13 years, they've been lying to their father and to themselves. They have a lot of reason to go on believing that Joseph is dead. Third, Joseph disguises himself. So Joseph goes to his brothers. He says, well, tell me, who are you? They say, oh, we are honest men. Do you, do you think they maybe don't understand the bad news? They don't understand the bad news. Joseph listens. He, they say, listen, we're honest men. We're all sons of one father. We're all here to get food. We have money. Uh, one of our sons is, one of our brothers is still back in Canaan. But listen, we're good guys. We're, we're honest men. And our father is a good man. We, we really need food. So Joseph says, well, listen, if you're honest men, send your younger brother Benjamin over here. And listen, I will not deal with you again if you don't send your younger brother Benjamin here. In fact, I'm going to make one of you stay here with me, and you go back and tell your father, hey, listen, send Benjamin next time. So Simeon stays in Egypt, and the rest of the brothers go back to Canaan with the food. Now, as they're going, they're shocked to find in their sacks of food, they find the money that they brought with them to pay for the food in Egypt. And they say, oh, what has God done to us? They are shocked. They are terrified. They go back home. They tell their father, listen, we met this guy. He has all the power in Egypt. He gave us the food, but He said, for some reason, he has to meet Benjamin. Next time we go, we better have Benjamin with us. Dad says, no way. That's not happening. But eventually, they run out of food. And so Jacob has to decide, what do I do? And one of his sons, Judah, stands up and he says, dad, I'll tell you what. We've got to go down and get food. We're in big trouble. The bad news is we're going to die of hunger. But here's the good news. I will represent Benjamin. I will protect Benjamin. I will be surety for Benjamin. I will make sure Benjamin is safe. I will take upon myself the blame if anything bad happens to Benjamin. In fact, the word blame in Genesis 43 is... I will take upon myself the guilt offering. I will take upon myself the sin offering. You know what Judah's saying? is saying, if anything happens to Benjamin, kill me. If anything bad happens to Benjamin, take out your anger and revenge on me. Sound familiar? Judah points forward. To one day, when from the line of Judah would be born a man named Jesus, who would be the full and final guilt offering for sin. Jesus would be our substitute, and he would die in our place. So the gospel is on every page, on every chapter, in every page of the Bible. The gospel is there, the bad news and the good news. Well, they get, to, they get to Egypt, and Joseph says, listen, servant, go and tell the men, I want to have dinner with them tonight, and Joseph throws a party, and the men are freaking out. They are terrified. They think, oh, man, Joseph knows about the money, and so they go ahead, and they confess that they had gotten away with all their money the last time they came to Egypt, And the servant says, oh, no, 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 don't worry. It's okay about the money. Listen, God did that for you. Bad news. We messed up. Somehow we ended up with all our money. Good news. God provided for you. It's okay. The man's not angry. He's not upset. So Joseph sees his brothers. He sees Benjamin, his closest brother the one born to the same woman as him, and he's undone. He can't believe it, but he's not ready to reveal himself. He's not ready to tell his brothers who he really is. So he gives the brothers the food. He sends the brothers back to Canaan with all the food, but he does a little trick on them. He takes his silver cup, and his servants place that silver cup in Benjamin's food sack, and off they go. And as they're going back, he sends his servants and he says, you tell those guys one of them is a thief. So they chase him down. They say, one of you is a thief. The one in who's the silver cup is going to be punished. He's going to become a slave. The brothers say, no, 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 no. We, we haven't done anything wrong. They go from the oldest to the youngest, opening their sacks. And finally, the cup is found in Benjamin's sack. They go back to Joseph and Judah. Judah says, I cannot allow you to punish Benjamin. If you send my brothers back without Benjamin, my father will die. Punish me in place of Benjamin. Punish me. Put me into bondage. Put me into slavery. Let me take the responsibility of Benjamin. And at this point, Jacob, Joseph rather, cannot take it any longer. And so we pick up in chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer them, for they were dismayed at his presence. Dismayed is too weak a word. In the Hebrew, literally, they were terrified. They are struck in the face with the bad news that the brother they had betrayed, the brother they had left for dead, is standing in front of them. And for 13 years, they've lied about his death, and they've lived with this lie, and now it's staring him, he's staring them in the face, and they are terrified. That's the bad news. Let's keep going. Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. The bad news of the gospel is the trauma of a holy, holy, holy God that we have offended with our sin and we stand face to face with this God. And he says, I am God. And you are not. And through Jesus, the bad news of the gospel is turned into good news in the gospel because the God that we've sinned against through Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven. And he now says, I am your father, God. And as Joseph comforts, encourages, gives the good news to his brothers by telling them, I'm not just Joseph. I'm still your brother, Joseph. I still love you with a family love. We have comfort in the gospel that God hasn't just winked at our sin. He hasn't just laid our sin aside. He's paid for our sin through Jesus. And not only that, now he calls us sons and daughters He says, I am God, and we shrink back in terror, and he says, I am your Father. He reaches out his arms for us to embrace him through Jesus Christ. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay, for you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt, and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. The bad news of the gospel for the brothers is that they have sinned. The man that they had sinned against is staring them in the face. The good news for the brothers is that their brother Joseph isn't holding it against them. He loves them. He he extends forgiveness to them. He extends brotherly love to them. The, The bad news of the gospel for Joseph is that for 13 years he's lived dead to his family. He's lived in this pagan country, Egypt, separated from his Hebrew family. But the good news of the gospel is that what his brothers meant for evil, God intended for good. Did you hear, God? Four, five, six times in that little passage I just read, God did, God did, God did, God did, God did. did. Let me ask you this. On the cross... Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? The cross is the greatest act of evil ever done. On the cross, the holy, righteous, sinless Son of God was put to death. Why? Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. Who did it? The Lord did it. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, Jesus is the better Judah. Jesus is the Judah who would give himself as a guilt offering for our sin. It wasn't his sin that put him on the cross. It was ours. And it was the Father's will. It was the Father's pleasure. It was the Father's intention to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The Father was willing to give the Son, and the Son was willing to give himself. He would render himself. As a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. And he will bear their iniquities. The bad news of the gospel The bad news of the gospel is that an evil has been done. We have sinned against God. We're in big trouble. The good news of the gospel is that the son gave himself to justify sinners. What does that mean? It means that we're forgiven. And it means that we are declared righteous by God, that when He looks at you, when He looks at me, if you are in Christ, He sees the righteousness of His Son. Because of His great love for you, He was willing to give Himself for you. Because of His great love for you, the Father was pleased to give the Son in your place. That's the gospel. It's good news. And it's for you, if you'd receive it. John 6, 47, truly, truly, he who believes has eternal life. Do you have it? Do you have eternal life? Oh, the good news of the gospel is that he, Jesus offers himself to you Today as righteousness and forgiveness and eternal life. And our part is to receive him. Have you? Won't you? Why wouldn't you? It's the greatest gift ever offered. Your sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's good news. And Jacob, Jacob hears of his son. Now the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts. Go to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. You are ordered, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives. Bring your father and come. Do not concern yourself with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver, five changes of garments, to his father he sent his followers 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father for the journey so he sent his brothers away as they departed he said to them do not quarrel on the journey now <laughs> Joseph is a wise man See, Joseph understands that as good as the good news has been for the brothers, as good as it seems they've gotten it, he knows that they're going to forget. He knows that just like us, the gospel's going to leak right out of their hearts. And before long, they're going to be on their way back to Canaan, and they're going to be looking around, and they're going to go, you know, it was your fault that we sold that guy into slavery. You know, if it hadn't been for you... Oh, me? What about you? Me? Ah. That's what we do. You can tell whether the gospel has moved into the center of your heart if you find yourself easily defending, blaming, Shifting blame to others, if you find yourself very easily pointing out the sins of other people and very slow to point out the sins in yourself, if you have a quarreling heart, then maybe, maybe the gospel hasn't yet penetrated into the center of your life. Don't quarrel on the way. What's the secret to not quarreling? The gospel. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And indeed, he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. The bad news is, Dad, we've been lying to you for 13 years you got a bunch of rascals for sons. The good news is you have one son who's in charge of everything in Egypt, and he's still alive. And Joseph says, stop it. Jacob says, stop it. You've got to be kidding me. It's too good to be true. Joseph couldn't possibly be alive. It's true. When they told him of all the words of Joseph, that he had spoken to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, we've seen the good news of the gospel played out. We saw it in Joseph. The bad news, a great evil was done against him. The good news, God used it and brought about a great good for all the peoples of the earth. What God had promised to his great-grandfather Abraham, you shall be blessed and you shall be a blessing, came true. We saw the bad news and the good news for the brothers. We saw the bad news. You're a bunch of liars. You're a bunch of rascals. You keep telling yourself we're honest men. It's not true. The bad news is true for you and for me, too. And the good news of the gospel is you're loved. I'm Joseph, your brother. And Jesus says, I am Jesus, your brother. The gospel. And we've seen in, in Jacob the bad news and the good news of the gospel. that in, <laughs> He's got 11 unrighteous sons, but he has one son. And God has many, 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 many sons of disobedience, but he has one son of obedience. And through that one son's obedience, every nation, tribe, and tongue is blessed. The gospel. Now listen, we're going to move to the action step. But I want to ask you this question. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you find yourself at the telling of the gospel, the bad news and the good news, if you hear those phrases and you immediately start planning, what am I going to buy at Publix this afternoon? I don't need to listen to this. This is for the lost people in the room. Oh, dear, dear friend, the gospel is for you The gospel is for the Christian and the non-Christian. You don't ever outgrow your need of the gospel. You say, oh, I need deep teaching. You need the gospel. I promise you, you need the gospel. Jesus Christ plus nothing is what your heart needs today. And it's what you need tomorrow. And it's what you'll need Tuesday and Wednesday. And every day until God brings you home, you need the gospel. I need it. And you need it. So how do we get it? How do we get it to move down, down, down into our heart? That's what I want us to do this week. And so here's the action step. And if you're just yawning in the face of the gospel, please, please, please lean in to this action step for you this week. Preach the gospel daily. Preach the gospel daily. Look at verse 13 of Genesis 45. Now you must tell my father. You must tell you can't keep the gospel to yourself you must tell it you must you say i must i don't like being told what my duty is what my obligation is are you kidding me you have the cure for death people are leaning into a vaccine that they think is going to give us hope And they're bickering over was it 90% effective, 94% effective, 96% effective? The gospel is 100% effective, and it's the cure for death and hell. You must tell. You must. You say, I must. Yes, you must. You must tell the gospel. Look at the happy results that come when you tell the gospel. Verse uh, 16, when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Look at what happens when people tell the good news. When people tell the gospel, everyone wins. Look at what happens in Pharaoh's house. He hears the news, and it pleased him. When we tell the gospel, it will bring good news of joy. At some point, we'll sing. We'll sing of good news, of great joy that will be for all people. The good news is going to be told, and the good news brings joy. Verse 27. When they told him, that's Jacob, all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob was revived. Do you want to see revival in the church and awakening in our nation? The solution is not an election. The solution is to go and tell the gospel, to preach the gospel daily. How will revival come to the church? How will awakening come to our country when God in His grace pours out His Holy Spirit and the hearts of the church is revived? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher in the 1940s, 50s, said this. What are the characteristics of a revival? A sense of the majesty of God, of personal sinfulness, of the wonder of salvation through Jesus Christ and a desire that others might know it. Isn't that what we're saying this morning? The condition that brings about revival is when the hearts of people in the church Preach the gospel daily. Preach the gospel daily to ourselves. We preach the gospel daily to ourselves. I don't open my Bible every day because I'm a good person checking off my moral checklist of obedience. "Ah, I've read my Bible today. That's not why I read my Bible. I read my Bible because I need the treasure of the gospel because every morning I wake up with gospel amnesia. Every morning, just like my Honda Accord leaks oil all over, my go- all over my driveway, the gospel leaks out of my heart. Every day I need the gospel to come into my life in fresh ways. So I read the Bible to preach the gospel to myself. We preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Let me just show you. We'll be brief. Revelation chapter 5. Maybe you read it this week. We mine the pages of scripture for the gospel. Revelation 5 worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth the bad news of the gospel is this we had all sinned there was no one worthy there was no one who would obey it cost Jesus his life on the cross Jesus suffered and bled and died for me. That's how bad my condition was. That's the bad news. But the good news is, He did it. And by His blood, He purchased not only me, but men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And together, we get to be a part of telling the world the good news. Now, that's just one page of my Bible, it's on every page. You say, well, I don't see it. Ask the Father. He'll show you. That's why He's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Ask Him. Ask Him this week. Father, show me by the Holy Spirit in Your Word the bad news and the good news of the gospel for me and preach the gospel to Yourself. Preach the gospel to one another. Preach the gospel to one another this week. Preach the gospel to one another. Why do we go to small group every week? Small group is supposed to be a a place for gospel transformation. And your small groups are waiting for someone to talk about how much you need Jesus. Your small group is not waiting for someone to raise their hand and to say, hey, listen, could I tell you how good I am? Your small group is desperately waiting for you to say, I need Jesus. Won't you be the person who starts the gospel tsunami rolling through your small group? Won't you be the person who says, I am a mess, and I need Jesus. I believe the bad news is true of me, and I believe the good news is true of me. Break the ice. Start the tsunami. Get into the joy of the gospel and share it with one another. We desperately need one another to preach the gospel to each other when we gather together in small group. We need each other. Your small group needs you to preach the gospel to them, and you need your small group to preach the gospel to you. Preach the gospel to one another. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, says this this passive righteousness, the gospel, is a mystery that someone who doesn't know Jesus can't understand. As a matter of fact, Christians don't completely understand it and don't take advantage of it when they're tempted. So we have to constantly teach it over and over again to others and repeat it to ourselves because if we don't understand it and have it in our hearts, we'll be defeated by our enemy. We'll be totally depressed. There's nothing that gives us peace like this passive righteousness, this good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ's righteousness has been credited to my account. I don't achieve it for myself. I receive it from Jesus. Paul writes to a man who lived in Colossae named Philemon. And in his letter to Philemon, he says this, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. What is the fellowship? It's the koinonia. It's the small group life, this one anothering life of Philemon with the church in Colossae. And he says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith, that the gospel would be at the center of it. I pray that you would continually be reminding one another of Jesus. I pray that the more you fellowship together around the gospel, the more you would know of Jesus. That's the dream. That's what we pray for. That's what we labor for. That's what we equip for. That's what we dream of. When I put my head on the pillow at night, I say, Jesus, help me to believe the gospel enough that others would begin to believe it. What do I long for for your small groups? Not that they would be a nice, happy place, but that they would be places of gospel transformation and gospel proclamation to one another. We desperately need each other to have this fellowship of faith in Christ. We need each other. Preach the gospel to yourselves. Preach the gospel to one another. Preach the gospel to the lost. Take your study and turn to page 45 of your study. Preach the gospel to the lost. Preach the gospel to the lost daily. How do we get there? Well, let's see. On this page, there are 50 verses that I'd encourage you to work on to memorize, but I'd encourage you to... Let's just start with this third section, Win the Lost. And in these 10 verses, in these 10 verses are the biblical motive for evangelism, for telling the gospel to lost people, the biblical motive, and the biblical content, content of the message. You say, well, why do I memorize it? Because that's part of helping you preach the gospel to yourself, and it will prepare you, shape you, mold you, motivate you to understand the biblical motive for evangelism and the biblical message of evangelism. Now listen, the bad news is still true. The bad news is still true of me. Go to to the bad news. First column, bad news. It says Romans 2.23. I don't know that Romans 2.23 exists, but I do know Romans 3.23 does. So the bad news is still true of Dave. Take your pen, put a three over the two, and I still need Jesus. Romans 3.23. That's the one you want to memorize. But what... What we do is we put the word into us so that we know the biblical motive and the biblical message, and then we need a method. And the good news, what we've said is a method that you can use to tell others, tell lost people about the gospel is the Do You Know Booklet. So what I'd encourage you, if you don't have one of these, they're in the lobby, take one home with you. And I want you to take it, and this week, I want you to read it to yourself. That's part of telling yourself the gospel. Secondly, I want you to imagine someone's name on this booklet. And I want you to begin to pray for that person. You say, well, I don't know. Well, ask the Father to give you the name of someone you know that you could tell about Jesus. Ask him. And then begin to pray for them. And when you go to small group this week, say, folks, could you pray for me? And would you pray for my friend that I would have the courage to tell them the good news? And then you can use the booklet. If you've never been trained on how to use the booklet, you can go to our webpage, goodnewsloves.com. You scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, and there are three helpful videos to coach you in how to use the Do You Know booklet that Smiley has produced for you. It's at the very bottom of our homepage. Here's an idea. Maybe in small group, you could watch those videos together in small group, and then you could practice on one another and then pray for a lost person that you want to share the gospel with. The bad news and the good news and an invitation to receive Christ. Preach the gospel daily to the lost, And this is a great time to preach the gospel. You can take our invitations. Listen, on December 27th, when we get together, the Sunday after Christmas Eve, these invitations will be useless. Between now and December 24th, they could change someone's life. Take some invitations from the lobby. Begin to pray and invite we pray and we share strategically with people that we love and we are in relationship. We invite broadly to people who may or are just strangers. We invite broadly. We share and pray the gospel strategically. Do both. Invite broadly, share strategically as God gives you opportunity. But invite. It can be a way that you help tell others. The good news of the gospel. We're out of time. You must tell. you and you and you and you and you and you, you, you must tell you must. You have the cure for death. You must tell. Tell the gospel. Preach the gospel daily. Tell it to yourself. Tell it to one another. Tell it to the lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thankful. Thank you that the gospel is for me. Thank you that the gospel is for all my friends here. So many friends that I've known for so long that I love so much, and I pray that the gospel would capture their hearts. And oh, how I know how grateful I am to be a part of a place where the gospel is preached faithfully week after week. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit that those who know you and are walking with you might be revived by the gospel. Lord, help us. And then, from your people, revived by the bad news and the good news of the gospel, may you send us out to tell the gospel to others. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, if there's any here who have not received Christ, would you work in their hearts right now, convicting of sin, helping them see the bad news of the gospel is true of them. Lord, helping them see Jesus as their sin bearer, their punishment taken by him, helping them to see the invitation to trust Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is helping you in that right now, would you just tell Jesus, Jesus, I admit I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. Jesus, I commit, come into my life, be Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Father, we all need the gospel. So as we come to this table now, I pray. I pray that you'd minister to us again in a a different way the truth of the gospel in Jesus' name, amen.